Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. Huge weekend of sports, and we were all over it. How about them, Cowboys? Dallas gets trucked by Atlanta. Zeke is suspended. The offensive line gets ripped apart by the Falcons. And there is a report that Jarrah is trying to overthrow the commish. And the Broncos get taken to the woodshed again. Denver's on the way from a top-five team to a top-five pick. And a crazy, crazy weekend in college football with maybe the least surprising twist of all, Butch Jones finally getting the axe. And no Tennessee honk. John Gruden is not coming to bail you out. Alvy, it's Monday. It's busy. Let's get it. I want to start with the Cowboys. I could have started any number of different places in the NFL, but let's start with the Cowboys because Jerry Jones had himself a couple of days, didn't he? Threatening to sue his fellow owners, losing Ezekiel Elliott, and then getting smashed 27-7 by the Falcons. Everyone has a case of the Mondays, but at this point, my man's got to be feeling lower than a crippled cricket's ass. Where do we even start? How about the absurdity of one owner threatening to sue other owners or the absurdity of the vaunted Dallas offensive line getting taken to the cleaners by the Falcons? Let's do the latter because as much as Dallas missed Ezekiel Elliott, I'm going to go ahead and say that they missed left tackle Tyron Smith a whole lot more because Atlanta's Adrian Claiborne just embarrassed Dallas without him. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six sacks. That's an entire season in a single game. Actually, that's more than Claiborne's had in each of the last five seasons. And he had it in 60 minutes yesterday. This guy straight abused them. They have not been the same team we've watched the last three weeks. Hey, knocked out of his hand, and that's Claiborne again. And McKinley gets on top of it for Atlanta. Adrian Claiborne strips Dak Prescott and another turnover. It's a speed move, short of one spin move where he started up the field and came underneath. Every pressure that he has had has been a speed rush right around the edge. Six sack game for Adrian Claiborne. There's a key point to be made here. It is a speed move. It is a speed move, but it's his only move. That's the only thing this guy does. And he said it himself. I only have one move and it worked. So he's running the same move over and over and over again. And he's getting to Dak Prescott every single time. That move was practically Kareem's skyhook or Mariano's cutter because Dallas had no chance against it. I mean, they knew what was coming and they still could not stop it. And while the blocking may have been garbage, they were not garbage time sacks. He had a pair of strip sacks. Two that pushed Dallas out of field goal range, and two that came on third down. So that was bad. Really, really bad. In terms of Jerry threatening to sue his fellow owners, after the game, Jerry had to be thinking about suing his offensive line and his offensive line coach instead of the other owners. But speaking of lawsuits, there's no way. There's no way he's actually serious about suing the other owners, right? I mean, that's got to be Jerry just being Jerry, jumping into the spotlight, stirring it up a bit, because that's what he does better than anybody else. Well, maybe not. One source told MMQB that, quote, there is little question in my mind that Jerry Jones wants to overthrow Roger Goodell. End quote. Overthrow. He wants to overthrow Roger Goodell. I mean, is this a football league or a small country? Apparently, Jerry really is bent 
about how much money Roger Goodell might make in his new deal. And you've probably seen the contract demands. He wants a private jet for life. Health you know, insurance for his family jet. for life. You know, I keeps a private jet for life. You know, Why well, stop there? I mean, if you can ask for a private jet for life, why not ask for a private jet for life and for your kid's life and their kid's life? How about a private jet in perpetuity for the entire generation of Goodells you know going forward? You know he for keeps life. a private jet for life. Oh, 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 Alvi, I see what you did there. Hey, Alvi, how long do you think that Roger Goodell wants to keep a private jet? Uh-oh! Anyway. Jerry's making it sound as if it's about his contractual demands. Goodell's demands. And some of those things have leaked, and it does make the commissioner look pretty bad. I mean, it makes him look bad because over the last several years, he's made more money than anybody playing in that league. More money than anybody playing in any league, with the exception of two other athletes. So I would get into the details of that deal, the compensation committee meetings, Jerry's status as an ad hoc member. But honestly... And I think you'd probably agree with me on this. There's nothing more boring than billionaires fighting with millionaires over money unless it's billionaires threatening to sue other billionaires over a millionaire's money. Does that make sense? Do you need me to run that back? Just know it's really boring. Rich people fighting extraordinarily rich people for money. Look, you can try to convince me that this isn't about Roger Goodell suspending Jerry star player Ezekiel Elliott and that it really is about Jones having a problem with the job that Goodell has done aside from Ezekiel Elliott and the money he's asking asking for you could try to convince me of that but it's going to take a lot of convincing because Jerry voted to give Goodell an extension back in May but then he changed his tune after Elliott's suspension was announced in August now when Tom Brady was getting suspended he didn't really seem to have a big problem with Goodell or his discipline system, did he? But when it was his guy, he suddenly has lots of problems. When it's his guy, he's reportedly telling owners on the compensation committee that he has, quote, papers drawn up to sue them if they don't kick that contract back to the rest of the 32 owners. And again, not to get caught up in the minutia of the thing, that's not the way they negotiate the commissioner's contract. They don't kick it back to 32 other owners. That's why they have a commission, a committee, or a compensation committee to make a recommendation to the owners who generally accept it. Look, I'm going to be honest. I really don't care about Roger Goodell's compensation. I really don't. I really don't care about owners suing other owners. I really don't. I'm not even sure how much Cowboy fans care about it either, but I know what they do care about. They care about the fact that they're 5-4 and four and they have not won a Super Bowl in more than 20 years. And if the season ended right now, they'd miss the playoffs. They care a lot more about that than they do about how much the commissioner gets paid. And maybe, just maybe, Jerry should be more focused on that than threatening lawsuits. And one more thought. Speaking of Brady and the Patriots, what do you think that Bob Kraft is thinking right about now? Kraft had arguably the best player ever suspended, and not a running back, but a quarterback, and maybe the best quarterback ever. And on top of that, they had a first and a fourth rip from them, and a million-dollar fine. And for what? Deflating some footballs. Maybe. And Kraft pretty much had to sit back and take it. And you can bet that Jones probably was telling him, be a good partner, Bob. Suck it up, Bob. Yet when it happens to Jarrah, 
And by the way, it's not over deflating footballs. It's over domestic violence allegations. Now Jerry's not sucking it up. Jerry's not being the good partner. He's looking to sue his partners and overthrow the same commissioner that he probably told Bob Kraft that he had to respect. That's pretty rich. And I guarantee Kraft thinks so. Again, the commissioner is not your problem, nor the reason you haven't won a Super Bowl in more than 20 years. And believe me, Jerry going rogue is not going to get them any closer to that goal either. He's not had a real good week. JLC, Jason Lockenfor is my guest. Jason, how you doing on Monday morning after another big weekend? Yeah, can't complain, brother. Always good having you in studio. Enjoyed uh, kicking in a little bit yesterday. And don't act like you're not busy yourself, dude. No, I'm not as busy as you. I got some things going on, but not like that. But it's good to be back. Good to have you back. All right, so New England goes out last night, Jason. They were absolutely smashed by the Broncos, 41-16. to I know you were confident that the Patriots were going to win that game comfortably. So what did you make of what you saw from both those teams last night? I mean, to me, it's vintage New England in that it wasn't necessary. I mean, what, I think Tom Brady had like 100 passing yards at the half. It wasn't... Uh, wasn't a tour de force. It wasn't. Uh, they didn't play the perfect game. They didn't have their, you know, their perfect stuff. But they win going away because they exploited special teams. They made big plays when they had to. They they didn't beat themselves, and they let the other team sort of implode. And I mean, look, Brock Osweiler. He's made a lot of money. God love him. But they need to get a look at Paxton Lynch. I don't want to hear he's not mentally ready. I mean. The shoulder's been enough to practice for a few weeks now. There's people in the building who thought he should have been more in the equation even for Week 10. They're going to have to make that switch. They're a team very much in transition. I didn't like the body language of their defense the last few weeks because it's starting to look like an impossible task because they're never going to get any run support to keep my lame baseball metaphors going. So, yeah, I kind of smelled that one coming. Um, Osweiler actually functioned better than I thought he would for the meaningful part of that game, but the second half, quickly became more or less obsolete. And, you know, Vance Joseph looks overwhelmed to me at times. You know, that was a sort of out there, outside the box pick by John Elway. And he want, clearly he wanted a young coach who wasn't going to give him a whole lot of pushback. You know, he had kind of gone through the, the wars with Fox and Kubiak a little bit. And he got what he wanted, but I just don't know that Vance Joseph was ready to be an NFL head coach. And I get the sense there's people in that building wondering as much now as they still have a, a good portion of games to play and have quickly become non-competitive over the last month. Clones, I need a moment to talk to you about Stamps.com. Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, such as our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So let me ask you, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. As an example, the holidays are coming up. My wife, Janet, is all about the Christmas card. We send out hundreds, literally hundreds of Christmas cards, and there's no way we could do it without Stamps.com. I'm going to print my own postage. I'm going to do it when I want and do it at home. Trust me, with the holidays coming up, you should do the exact same thing, and you'll thank me for it. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle for a special, special offer. A four-week trial, which includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. You want to go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle. 
Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't. That's Stamps.com. Now it's back to our Daily Jungle. Jason Locking for joining us. You know, all of this brings to note also an absolute sledgehammer of a tweet that you laid down last night. Quote, Broncos have a lot more in common with the Giants than you would admit. Differences, Denver quarterback change coming sooner. A strong, strong tweet. So why don't we go to the Giants for a minute? We were both in New York over the weekend. The Giants are coming off a double-digit loss to the previously 0-9 49ers. Jason, I know they've had a ton of injuries, but how did they get this bad? Or how did things get this bad this quickly for a team with serious aspirations at the start of the year? Yeah, I didn't see this coming, I have to admit. Um, And I'm going to take the injuries out of it. This has been a horrendous year for injuries around the league. And they, you know, losing Odell Beckham, and I mean, I get all that, but they stunk before that. I mean, they had barely a pulse before, you know, when they did have Odell Beckham in the lineup. And in a year where there are so many bad teams, so many bad teams, and you can't even beat the bad teams in a down year when you came into the year thinking legitimately – 10-11 10-11 wins again, you know, division's, division's going to be tougher, but, you know, no reason we can't be in the thick of it. And you were out of it by Halloween almost. I don't I don't have the answers, Jim, and I get the sense that they don't have the answers. And, you know, things snowball, and, and it's easy to turn on a coach, especially, you know, a young coach who had a lot of uh, success last year and everything kind of happened kind of easily for them. So I don't think Ben McAdoo has all the answers, but they've got a personnel problem. They've had a draft problem. They've had an offensive line problem. Um, and, I, look, they're going to have to blow that thing up at the end of the year. I get the sense that ownership is, is getting their um, mind around that, and I suspect they start thinking about you know alternatives sooner rather than later. It's just not in that family's DNA to fire people before Thanksgiving you know, or even to fire people in season. And the concern there is that you're, you're sending a message to that locker room, which clearly is displaying some unprofessional uh, attributes, that, okay, we're going to acquiesce to you, and we'll fire this coach, and we'll give you what you want. They don't want to send that message. And I would just say this also. It's not just going to be the coach and the GM who's gone. You know, there's going to be a lot of guys who made a lot of money from them the last few years who are going to have to answer to ownership, and they might not like what they hear back. CBS Sports NFL insider Jason Lockenfora joining us. Now, on top of that, you and I spoke yesterday on the NFL and CBS about the situation with Jerry Jones and the commissioner, Roger Goodell. What is the latest with their situation now, for those who don't know? Yeah, I mean, look, there is certainly, you know, Jerry Jones versus the NFL at large and Roger Goodell in particular uh, will be an ongoing battle. He He's waging it, though, primarily as a PR battle and through the media. In terms of what he can actually do to affect change to a process, that is pretty much at the finish line when it comes to Roger Goodell's contract. The answer is less than nothing. I mean, if he wants to go out there and sue them or for a case that wouldn't seem to have much merit because he himself authorized this process just a few months ago and he was on board with it right up until Zeke Elliott got six games when he thought he was getting nothing, right. you know, I guess he could go that route, but it's going to waste a lot of time, waste a lot of money. He's going to end up paying the NFL's legal fees because of it. And, you know, to the tune of, of, you know, tens of millions of dollars. For what? And he's going to further alienate himself from his business partners who are already looking at him sort of askance and saying, what, what, what the hell got into you, dude? Like, you know, we're supposed to be kind of sort of in this together. You're the same guy who told Robert Kraft a few years ago, just take the hit, Bob. Just take the four games. Do it for the good of the league. Now you're freaking out over a running back to the point where you're threatening lawsuits against people and 
I mean, he maybe has three other owners in his corner tops. He needs 23 more. And it's funny, I did a radio show this morning, a different one, and somebody asked me, you know, how's Roger Goodell going to manifest it? Like, Roger Goodell's got 28 owners in his corner. What the hell is Jerry Jones going to do to Memphis? There's people in the league saying, hey, Stephen Jones, step up, because your dad is, is taking this you know, too far. Jason, looking forward to joining us. You, know, you can see where Jerry is trying to solidify that power base and get more and more power, but it looks like he's bleeding badly and he's losing power, and I don't see how that goes his way. Now, before you go, the Rams had another absurd blowout yesterday. In fact, Jason, you I'm not sure. You, you do things before. You're the guy who starts early, so I'm not sure if you were there at that part of the meeting, but Boomer Esiason and some of the other guys were saying, what's it like in L.A.? Is there a lot of buzz for the Rams? And I said, believe it or not, there's not. There still isn't. There's more yeah. and more, but there's still not a lot of buzz. It's not a Rams town, but then they go out and they have another absurd blowout yesterday. They destroy the Texans. Now, you were out here in California during training camp. Yeah. You got a good look at what Sean McVay was building. What did you see then, and did you ever think that we'd be talking about the Rams being 7-2 and two with four straight double-digit wins? I thought he was a rock star in the making. I thought he would do very good things with that offense immediately. I, I did not think they'd have one of the more productive, efficient, consistent offenses in the league. I did not think Jared Goff would be producing like this, and I certainly did not think that we would be pushing Thanksgiving talking about them as a viable one seed in the NFC. Um, I thought, though, he would have a, a rookie year that would resonate. I didn't know that it would be completely historical, but I thought the foundation for a turnaround was in place and that he would become the face of that team. And somebody who, you know, when he goes out to dinner with his girlfriend, turns up, you know, on TMZ or paparazzi. And it seems like a little bit of that's happening. And maybe that's the beginning of some sort of buzz or hype about them. And, and, you know, maybe he becomes sort of the, um, you know, the cult of personality figure there, even more so than a Todd Gurley or a Jared Goff. But uh, he's special. And enough people who've been in coaching a long time who've worked either above him or below him on staffs have been telling me since, you know, he was a, not, not quite a quality control guy, but certainly by the time he was coaching tight ends in Washington. I mean, guys like Chris Cooley and London Fletcher, even then, you know, guys had relationships from covering that team. You know, they would text you from time to time, like, dude, you know, when you come to camp, you got to check out our tight ends coach. Like, this guy, he gets it. So, you know, kudos to the Rams for, for being willing to hire a guy that young. Um, and, you, you know, I, I really don't think you can overstate the presence of he and his staff on that team. Um, and, and just their ability to install an offense and incubate a quarterback and do what they have to do to win each week compared to what was going on there with that prior staff, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. When has anybody ever said, quote, dude, when you come here, check out our tight ends coach? Well, you know, do you know Cooley at all? Have you ever had Cooley on your show? Oh, yeah, he's the best. <laughs> Cooley sure. on your show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Chris is good people. Yeah. I, I think that's probably a fairly accurate, you know, uh, paraphrase of a conversation or a tweet from like 10 years ago no i don't even mean how he said it but the fact that they're saying he, don't check out the head coach or the o coordinator or the d coordinator man we got this crazy quality control guy you got to meet or we got this tight ends coach you got to meet speaking of cooley jlc before you go how is your be more podcast doing and if folks want to listen to it what will they hear and where do they find it thanks buddy uh you can find us at www.bmoshow.com if there's any displaced baltimoreans we call ourselves that affectionately or marylanders out there um yeah, we focus on Baltimore stuff every week. My partner, Jerry Coleman, and I. Jerry Coleman is actually, he like, you're one of his media idols, and he's been begging me to have you on the podcast forever. So maybe I officially extend that invitation. I don't know that you have any ties to Baltimore. Maybe you've been to Pemico with the ponies or something, but we'll have to figure that out. 
Um, but yeah, we're on iTunes, Be More Opinionated. And we don't have a guest for this week yet, Jim. I'm efforting one, so uh, <laughs> I wish I had. Now, remember when the Patriots were 2-2 two and two, and everybody was freaking out that Tom Brady was too old. It was the end of Belichick, Brady and the Pats. Or remember when Denver was 3-1 and one, and everybody thought they were contending for a Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't either. Because nobody had either of those thoughts after New England went into Denver and smashed the Broncos 41-16 to in prime time. So Denver's given up 51 to Philly last week, 41 to the Pats last night. And it might have actually been uglier than the scoreboard even indicated, if it's possible. Because Denver got off to a start that they would have wanted. They forced a punt on New England's first possession. And then this happened on the punt itself. Great start by this Bronco defense. Ryan Allen, the left footer, will punt it away. Isaiah McKenzie back and underneath it at the 27. He fumbles the football, and it is recovered by New England. Oh, man, you talk about sucking the life out of a stadium after a great start. Jonathan Jones down, I think, to make the recovery. And another huge mistake by Isaiah McKenzie. The Patriots have it first and 10 at the Denver 24. Broncos radio, exactly what they could not afford. If you're trying to stop the bleeding, the last thing you want is your defense to come out and force a three and out and then to fumble the punt. Because two plays later, Rex Burkhead was in the end zone. But Brock Osweiler and the offense did bounce right back. He hits Emmanuel Sanders for 31 yards. Eventually, they end up with a field goal on their opening possession. Only for this to happen on the ensuing kickoff. McManus sends the kickoff. Lewis feels it two yards deep and brings it out. 10, 15, 20. Lewis down the west sideline. 25, 30. Steps out of a tackle. And that's a foot race being chased and pushed out of bounds. He did not get pushed out of bounds. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, New England. Devontae Booker gave him a shove but didn't force him out of bounds. And special teams have killed the Broncos in the first part of this game against the New England Patriots. That return of 103 yards by Deion Lewis. I mean, it's, it's actually pretty hilarious. A fumbled punt and then a 103-yard kickoff return for a TD. Two special teams plays, two utter disasters. I thought that fumbling was the last thing that Denver could afford, but I was wrong. Giving up a 103-yard kickoff was way, way worse. You cannot do that against any NFL team, but especially against Tom Brady and the Pats because they will kill you for it, and New England did just that. Brady finished 25-34, three touchdowns, and a QB rating of 125. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, in the second quarter, New England blocked a punt. So that's a fumbled punt that led to a TD, a kickoff return for a TD, a blocked punt that led to a field goal. 17 points worth of special teams blunders, and that's the Gordie Howe hat trick of sucking on special teams. And it was only the start. They almost dropped a kickoff and had 12 men on the field during a Patriots punt that gave the Patriots the ball back, which led to another New England TD. So the issues in Denver have gone from being a quarterback problem to a quarterback and a defense problem to a quarterback, defense, and special teams problem. I'm not going to say that the QB room is infecting the special teams room, but I'm guessing it's not helping. Osweiler and the offense actually hung with the Patriots for a little while. I mean, kind of, sort of, almost. But Denver's special teams were just so bad that it was a blowout. As Justin Simmons pointed out, quote, 
You can't give up 24 points on special teams and expect to win. It's unacceptable. We hurt ourselves more on special teams than defense, end quote. I mean, overall, morale is at an all-time low in Denver. All-time low. I've never seen it like that. Just ask Derek Wolf, who said, quote, I think we stink. It's just sad. It's real sad. It's sad that we went from a championship-caliber team to a team that stinks and nobody respects us. It's an amazing quote. We stink. You know what's bad when a player's saying that? He's not looking for any silver lining. He's not trying to spin it. He's not going with something lame like, we'll watch film, we'll get back to work. No, none of that. He's just flat out saying, we stink. It's sad. Nobody respects us. And the crazy part is, he's right. It's a team loaded with pro bowlers, and nobody respects them right now. What's crazier, that they lost by 25, and it wasn't Brock Osweiler's fault? Or that the Broncos have lost five straight, including one to the New York Giants? Think about that for a second. The Giants just lost to the 49ers. They're 1-8, and eight, and the back pages in New York are a festival of headlines calling for Ben McAdoo to be fired. Yet they beat the Broncos, beat them by double digits. That's how bad it is for Denver. That's how bad the Broncos are right now. It's so bad that if you're a Bronco fan, you might actually think about tanking to get a higher pick from a top-five caliber team to a top-five draft pick caliber team in only a matter of weeks. That's how far they've fallen. And I'm not sure they're done falling. The referee needs to stop this fight before they're seriously injured or even killed because it's pretty clear these dudes cannot defend themselves any longer. It's like they walk into the ring against everybody and they stand right in the middle and then the opposition is just landing haymakers. I got to say, there's not a more disappointing team in the NFL right now than Denver. Honestly. There is not a more disappointing team than Denver. I'd say the Giants, but even they beat Denver. Bronco fan, what the hell? Now what? Who do you blame, and how are you going to fix it? There is not a quick fix here. Let's go to Northern California. Joe, to the phones. Good morning, Joe. What's up? How are you? Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me, man. Listen to you every morning on my drive. Um, Yeah, I I wish I could argue with you about the Denver Broncos, man. We stink. Uh, There's (laughs) – there's our season's done. I – I can't agree more. Maybe we do need a tank. Um, you know, going uh, defense gave up last night. You know, then you tack on special teams problems. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 I can't blame it on the quarterbacks. Um, I think that we've got some decent quarterbacks in there, but with our current offensive line, I mean, if you put Tom Brady behind our line, he's going to put up the same QB rating as as Osweiler did last night. If we don't have an offensive line that can protect a quarterback. We might as well just go on a three-man rotation just trying to save injuries and not get somebody hurt. Our, our season's done. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, you're right. You started that call by saying, thanks, Joe. You started that call by saying, you know, I'd argue with you, but you, know, you can argue with me. You certainly can argue with me, but you'd be wrong because what I'm saying about Denver is right. You said, I can't really blame the quarterbacks. Oh, yes, you can. You definitely can blame the quarterbacks, but you can't blame them exclusively. It's not all their fault. The defense, I think that quarterback room has somehow infected the defense, which has somehow infected the special teams. And now you've got all three facets of the team and the game, which are an absolute disaster. So, oh, it's definitely the quarterbacks. Don't get that twisted. It's the quarterbacks, but it's a lot of other things as well. And it all starts with John Elway. And I thought Jason Lockenfora made a pretty interesting point when he talked about the head coach. 
Vance Joseph and how he's in over his head and that Elway made a reach when he made that selection and then all of a sudden now that's coming back to bite them too. Nothing is going right for them. How do you go from being a bona fide Super Bowl contender at 3-1 and one to a team that only a month later we're talking about whether or not they should actually go into the tank to try to enhance their draft pick? What do you do? I mean, Vance Joseph better do something. What he's doing is not working. He has to do something. They're in a free fall, and I don't think they've hit rock bottom yet. He was asked, what are you going to do to get things turned around? Do you think you'll have to consider making personnel changes in the coaching department before the season's over? I'll say this. You know, when you lose like this, it's, it's on all of us. You know, and, you know, it's a, it's a staff that we chose, you know, that we feel great about. You know, so I would say that. I would say it's on all of us, and we have to coach better and play better. This is a team that you want to play right now. This is a team that you hope is on your schedule. This is a team that you circle as, that's one we can win. And that's not the way it used to be. And when I say that's not the way it used to be, I mean like a few weeks ago. Dear Romy, the way the Broncos are playing, we may remember Dan in Denver's name longer than Vance Joseph's son, Reuben Richmond. Ultimately, and I mentioned this yesterday on the NFL and CBS prior to the game, and that was before the beatdown. I said this before the beatdown. It all goes back to John Elway. It all goes back to Elway. It starts at the very top. Theo Riddick is my guest. Now, you've got a reputation as one of the great ankle breakers in the NFL. So when you're in space and you drop a defender with a cut, what's that feel like? And do you even notice when they go down? Do you have any empathy for the guy that goes down, or do you just not see it and just keep going? No, I mean, I don't care. I, I try to break some ankles, man. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, so I go out there with that purpose. Uh, I, I want to embarrass, you know, every opponent and every defender, obviously. And, um, you know, and vice versa. They want to they wanna hit us as hard as they can and try to slow us down. So it's a great game that we play week in and week out. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy that I have the ability to do so. I knew that was the answer, too. Theoretic joining us. <laughs> now, back in spring, you were doing one of your hyperbaric chamber sessions and you were watching some Netflix, and you came across this documentary called What the Health. Before we talk about the doc, uh, tell me about the hyperbaric chamber sessions. What are those things like, and what do you get out of using it? Uh, well, obviously, it adds um, more blood flow to your body, so it speeds up the recovery. Um, you know, obviously, throughout the week, you know, and after the game, I mean, your body is really beat up. So that definitely contributes to that. Um, and the documentary that I came across was What the Health, and definitely kind of changed my perspective. In terms of eating, uh, definitely want to be a cleaner eater, uh, be more conscientious of what you're putting in your body because you only get one body in. That's what I think people fail to realize, and it's kind of crazy, um, you know, in terms of the detail that we don't know about the foods that we eat daily. I think it's 100% true. I mean, you, you are what you eat, but how many of us really know what we're putting in our body? You watched that thing, and then you reached out to a number of your friends. Like, specifically, what did you see in the documentary that made you so motivated? Well, I mean, as an athlete, again, I mean, you want you want the best for your body, and you know, I'm for me personally, I was a lunch meat type of guy, and I thought I was always, you know, doing the right thing, eating healthy by eating ham and turkey and all those things. But what you fail to realize is the amount of GMO that's put in there it definitely harms the body tremendously, and it takes so long to digest. And with that being said, it slows down the recovery process. And again, we want to be to the best of our ability as an athlete. So if I could just cut that down, that's going to help me in a lot of areas. So just like little things like that kind of, you know, obviously it was eye-opening. But, you know, just little things such as, you know, milk. 
you know, there's nothing factual about having calcium in milk. And you grow up to believe that. And, uh, you know, that's just little things like that. It's, it's kind of, you know, uh, I would say baffling, um, to say the least, when you find all those things out and the whole your whole life you kind of thought that it's been this one way the whole time when it's really not true. So you thought you were doing all the right things until you get a little research and a little bit of education. So, like, what types of things did you replace those things with? And also, I mean, how did it make you feel? Was your energy better? Did you sleep better? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I tried to be a, a vegetarian for two to three months, and, you know, I want to get back to doing that in the off season because um, I tried to do it in the summer, and then with football um, coming together and everything, it was very hard. So I just try really not to eat as much meat. Um, I'm really like a smoothie fruit type of guy, so I try to get all my nutrition and stuff um, in that area. But, again, I, I conscientiously always, always try to pay attention to the amount of meat and, like, dairy that I'm ordering or anything like that that's on the menu. Can you maintain your weight? How do you maintain your weight in season when you eat like that? Oh, that's not really a worry for me, man. Um, Again, I get all my nutrition and stuff through my nutritionist, and she's definitely a huge help. We're talking to Theo Riddick. All right, now, you also, one of the guys you reached out to was fellow running back Amir Abdullah. Now, speaking of Amir, I did have him on the show earlier this season, and he did Uh say that he is the best-dressed running back. First off, what is your reaction when you hear that? Is he the best dressed guy in the running back room? I mean, you know, I love my man. You know, that's that's my guy. That's that's my guy. But uh, I, I can't say it's him. I, I gotta say is is Dwayne. You know, I gotta say it's Dwayne Washington. You know, he's from Cali. He has that fashion sense. I gotta say it's Dwayne. But but if you're asking Amir, of course Amir is gonna say Amir. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, Theo, when, you remember what he said about Dwayne, though. He said that Dwayne tries, but he's awkwardly built because, quote, this is him, not me now, quote, he's tall, but he's also fat, but he's also ripped, so it's kind of weird, end of quote. So I'll get to well, what that, he said. That, that, he's contradicting himself a lot. Right. You know, <laughs> I was kind of confused, you know, when you said that. But, hey, uh, I, I just think, honestly, it's definitely going to be Dwayne. I mean, I think Amir's up there, but uh, we're going to have to calm his, his confidence down just a little bit. No, you're right. I mean, what is it? Is he fat or is he ripped? But can you be both? Can you be fat and ripped? No. No. That's like saying you can be, I don't even know. Like <laughs> like saying you can be smart and There's dumb, no fat and ripped. There's no way. There's no way you can be shredded and fat. There's no way. There's just no way. All right, now, it just doesn't work like that. No, it, it didn't seem to work like that, but it works for him. Now, he said when he got to you, he said, you're the name brand guy, which means you're automatically going to look good because you invest in it. So what's your approach when it comes to fashion? I mean, I, I don't really care about clothes, man. I, I like to kind of save my money, to be honest with you. Um, and I'd rather spend my money elsewhere. Uh, I'm pretty frugal, to be honest with you. So, um I just try to save as much money as I can, man, to be honest with you. No, I get that. I like that, and especially because you got another mouth to feed. Your son Theo was born, uh, and you had a great tweet the other day when you tweeted, the panic when you realize you're out of baby baby formula, lay it out for me. For those who don't have kids or are going to have kids, how severe is that panic? And then how do you go about dealing with it when it happens? I mean, people have no idea. No idea. You know, I started, I just broke out in like a, a crazy sweat, to be honest with you. But, uh, 
It's a huge panic, man. You know, he's crying. He's slightly upset. You know that it's not gonna. It's not gonna be the quickest road trip from the storm back. So your lady has to deal with it. So it's like a domino effect. But uh, like you said, anybody that has little kids, they know the panic, and it's not a good one. Theo, last thought, we ready for it? Like, I, my kids are now 16 and 12, so I've been there, I've done that. But I remember when we brought our son home for the first time, I didn't have that background. Like, I didn't have a lot of nieces and nephews and cousins. I was not prepared. I don't care how many baby classes that my wife made me take. I just was not ready. What was it like when you brought your son home? Oh, man, uh, <laughs> definitely. A lot of things changed. Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing was, you know, time for yourself, you know, that kind of no longer exists. You know, uh, he, he depends on you and my lady for, for literally everything. And, and, and that's the beauty about it, you know. And, uh, again, it's just the time management. You know, you, you really have to have a schedule uh, with what you, what you can do and what you can't do and when you can do it and when you can't do it. So um, I just think, you know, staying, staying with the structure and the schedule has, has definitely helped my lady and I. I got one last question for you. That same child that I just mentioned is now a junior in high school, and he's looking at colleges. And, and man, it's so cliche, but it really does happen in a blink of an eye. So get ready for that. But one of the colleges that my son went to recently was Notre Dame, and he went on campus. Mm -hmm. And it's a Cali kid now. He grew up in Southern California, had never been back there, and was just blown away and couldn't wait to come back and tell me all about it. What do you remember about the first time you stepped on that campus, Notre Dame? Um, as, I mean, the, I think the first thing that really stood out to me was uh just how nice everything was put together um it's it's a beauty um I, I believe i went there during the spring and the one thing that really stood out to me i gotta say was the people um and and, and people look at me crazy when i say that but being from jersey uh, a lot of people it's, it's, it's really like a hustle mentality so people are going a thousand miles per hour um, people are less willing to just say hi to a stranger. And I remember multiple times just walking on campus and people just saying hi to me as if I was already attending there and not knowing who I was or anything. And that kind of stood out to me first and foremost. Um, obviously, with the football program and the tradition, I mean, how can you beat it? Uh, it's like the best of both worlds. You, you go in there academically. I mean, it's one of the toughest schools to get into and graduate from. And then on football, you get the you're playing really top notch competition week in and week out on national TV every Saturday. How can you beat that? Let's talk about what's happened to your team the last couple of weeks. Now we're on in New Orleans and we're on in Buffalo, so I've got to ask Saints fan, how you living right now? More importantly, Bills Mafia, what are you drinking right now? I mean, is there anything strong enough on the planet to black out what the Saints just did to you yesterday? Those recalled bottles of 77% Magic Blue probably would not even do the trick. Not when you're pulling black and gold spikes out of your face. Let me stop right there. That is not a green light for you to send me emails about other people who you think have bad complexions. These guys really did have spikes in their face. The other guys that you want to reference, and I'm not going to mention any names, never did. So I don't want any emails or tweets about exploding pineapple factories or bags of burning nickels or anything else that you say or use to explain somebody who has a zit-ridden grill. Grow the hell up. Nobody's playing porcupine dodgeball. Just stay on topic.
And here's your topic. The Saints hung 47 on the Bills yesterday. And they did it with exactly zero passing TDs. Can I repeat that? 47 points, no touchdowns through the air. Instead, Sean Payton called 48 run plays, and he lit the entire region of western New York on fire for 300 yards and six house calls. Hands off left side and in for the touchdown. Standing up is Mark Ingram for the score. Breeze in the shotgun. Ingram gets the call left side, puts his head down with second and third effort. He's to the goal line, and he's in for the score. Breeze up under center. Flip it to the right. Camara. has he got room? To the goal line, he's in. Here's Ingram's second effort to the goal line, and he is in too. Breeze in the shotgun. Really want to throw it? He looks to his left, now to his right, rolls to his left, staying alive, run looking it, into the end it, zone, all the way to the side, and it's going to be Breeze to the pylon and in. You hear the Houdat chant in the background, Daniel handing it off Edmonds, he's got some running room left side, has the first down, scampering down the sideline, inside the 10, 5, touchdown! Saints Radio, and if you're wondering, did I just hear a highlight of Drew Breeze running one in from 7 yards out? Yes, you did. You also heard Mark Ingram banging down the door three times. Alvin Kamara and Trey Edmonds getting their fist full of pay dirt too. I mean, I so badly want to make this all about the Saints and their seven-game win streak, and it is mostly about that. And the fact that they have become the first team since the 1940s to run for six TDs and not punt once. And that their running game just made history in the same season that they ran Adrian Peterson out of their backfield four games in. And that Drew Brees, for the first time in his career, has a team that can bail him out instead of the other way around. I want to make it all about that. And I probably could. But I shouldn't. Because on the other side of that wax job is the Bills Mafia. And two weeks ago, when the Bills were tied atop the AFC East, I was getting calls to my voicemail that sounded like this. Mike in Buffalo! Five and two for the Bills. The Buffalo's going to the Super Bowl. How many morons took part in that call? You hear these guys? Two weeks ago, I was getting calls like that to my voicemail. Yeah, well, two weeks ago feels like 18 years ago. 18 years ago. Because the longest playoff drought in sports is hanging over the great city of Buffalo. And just when it looked like that dark cloud was finally going to pass, the Jets stunned the Bills and the Saints knocked them the hell out. So the question, and it's a legitimate question, who the hell are these Bills? Are they what we saw in the first seven games when they fired out five and two? Or are they the team that we've seen the last two? I'll tell you this, we're going to find out. Because Buffalo is going to hop a cross-country bird to play the Chargers in their soccer stadium. And the Chargers, unfortunately, found a way to lose another tough one. They've got to deal with the Chargers in Carson, and then they have to double back to Arrowhead and deal with the Chiefs. Then it's the Pats at home three weeks from right now, so it's only going to get tougher. It's a good thing you had that 5-2 and two start. So while they have the final wild card spot right now, there's still a long way to go and a hell of a lot of good teams to get through. Life does come at you fast, Mafia. This all looked so great two weeks ago, and now it's all ripping apart. Godspeed, Bills Mafia. It's a brutal road ahead.
Rich in the D. Rich, you made it on. What's going on? How are you? I'm well. Thanks for uh, taking the call. You got it, Rich. What's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? Well, honestly, I just want to talk about the Jerry Jones, uh, Roger Goodell type nonsensical BS that's going on. The only time I want to hear that for the rest of the season or ever is if they decide to put the gloves on and either get into the octagon or the ring. And maybe I will listen to some chatter about it and then order it on pay-per-view like Conor McGregor and Mayweather. That's that. Next, Ezekiel Elliott. What a clown. And a lucky clown at that. And the words that I'm trying to refrain from using, I'm going to use the word clown. Uh, dude, you got six games. Take the six games. Do it like you do tattoos. Either you're drunk and you get a stupid tattoo and you regret it, or you get a tattoo that has a purpose and is meaningful for you. For you, I would suggest a portrait of Ray Rice on your chest with the words. Hashtag women's rights on your chest and pray to whatever person you believe in to say that you are thankful for still being in the league. Hey, Rich, I got to jump in. Any more fire from you and you'll burn this house to the ground. Wow, dude. My sincere apologies. If I had any idea that you were going to bring that kind of heat to this program, there's no way I would have had you on hold more than two hours the way that I did. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And get ready for another great Jim Rome podcast tomorrow. I'm going to sit down with documentary filmmaker Brian Fogel, who made an amazing film called Icarus. Trust me, this is one that you are not going to want to miss. I'll check you tomorrow. I'm out. The world is changing at a rate like never before. So... Why is an education? At Strayer University, we make transferring credits simple, create binge-worthy course content to keep you engaged, and design AI-powered tools to help you graduate. Welcome to the future of education. Strayer University, out with the old school. Enroll in Strayer University today and get a brand new laptop to help you finish your bachelor's degree. Laptop offers subject to restrictions and requirements. Strayer University is certified to operate by CHEV.